Hello and welcome to Time for Cherry Pie and Coffee with me, Bex. And me, Eason. And this is another Slice of Pie episode that we have put together here at Worldcon 75 in Helsinki. So in this episode, we have uh, had brief interviews with science fiction and fantasy authors Neil Williamson and Chris Butler. And they talk about their love of Twin Peaks Old and New. So first up, it's going to be Chris Butler and then Neil, and we hope you enjoy them. Yes. So we're joined now by science fiction and fantasy author Chris Butler recording A Slice of Pie at Worldcon 75. Hello, Chris. Hello, Ethan. And you are here to tell us all about what you think of the new season of Twin Peaks so far. Okay. You seem surprised by that. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> not, not at all. That's not, not, not what we agreed to. That is what we agreed to. It is. Yeah. Um, so, how can I start? Well, did you watch the original Twin Peaks? I did. Um, yes, 1990. Uh, I remember it coming on and being, you know, very quickly smitten with the thing and, and excited to watch it every week. Um I actually gathered with with some friends um, to watch it every week, which was not the sort of thing that w- I would normally do either before or since then, really. Um, but yeah, there's something about Twin Peaks that that we all got really excited about to watch every week. Has it been something you've done since at all? What, to watch, think, gather with other people? Yeah, to things? gather with other people and watch it. No, not really, no. It's, I, I don't know quite what it was that had that kind of magical quality. So you've been watching TV alone for the last 25 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, obviously, you often watch TV with other people, yeah. but, but to actually go around to a friend's house specifically yeah. to watch a TV programme, I haven't done that in a long time. And so let's rewind to a couple of years ago, two and a half years ago, and there's an announcement that Twin Peaks is returning. Mm. What was your initial thought about that? Uh, well, my jaws dropped for sure. <laughs> really, <laughs> can that possibly be happening? Um, so, no, I was excited. Um, certainly, as soon as I heard that both David Lynch and Mark Frost were involved, um, I thought, "Wow, this is going to be good." Is it one of those things that you ever anticipated would happen? Did you think it was just destined to be a show that was, you know, it ended, it was cancelled or whatever, and it would never come back? Certainly, at the time about? of that announcement, I had no expectation yeah. that that was about to happen. Um, there had been one or two cryptic tweets, hadn't there? Mm. So I might be misremembering that. But um, no, I, I certainly was very surprised. Uh, but we're also in an age when the last few years have seen a few shows get relaunched, rebooted, uh, and most of them have been pretty unsuccessful. Mm. So I know that, you know, what we were thinking initially was, it's really exciting that it's coming back, but there is a bit of hesitation because, you know, when shows come back, it, it doesn't always work, especially after such a, you know, a long period of time. Mm. No, I don't remember being worried about it in that way. Cool as a cucumber. <laughs> <laughs> well, so now no, no, we're, yeah, just excited to see what it would be. And, um, yeah, I think once I saw it, then um, that was again um, all good news. So we're 
13 hours into the Twin Peaks The Return and what are your general thoughts and feelings about it? Um, I think there's two, two things that really strike me about it. One is how daring it is in all kinds of ways. You know, it's not it's not pandering to studio executives in, in any way that I can see. Um, yeah, it, it's not like anything else. It, it seems to be fearless in the way it um, just does what it wants to do. Um, you get a real sense that two guys were able to go and do whatever they wanted. And they, had, they didn't hold back at all. They went off and did the thing that they wanted to do. Um, obviously it's a big ensemble work but um, yeah I think it's extremely daring in a lot of the things they've done uh, and the other thing that struck me was how quintessentially Twin Peaks it is <laughs> it seems to be utterly infused with the essence of Twin Peaks um, in all kinds of ways the cinematography is amazing the sound is amazing um, the humour is there and it is uniquely a Twin Peaks kind of humour um, that frequently makes me laugh. Um, the so much of the dialogue, you know, you immediately want to quote to your friends, <laughs> uh, and I, I don't know how they do that. It's extraordinary that that yeah, almost every line of dialogue is quotable. Um, so, yeah, the the only thing I noticed that they seem to get rid of or they haven't I th I'm sure it's a deliberate choice was the the original Twin Peaks on some level was a parody of a soap opera um, and they just seem to th thought right we're not doing that um, which is fine I mean it's probably a sensible thing to say we don't need to parody 1980s um, shows anymore um, and, I, and maybe Maybe Firewalk with me was suddenly leading Lynch in that direction anyway. So you, know, you mentioned that it does feel quintessentially Twin Peaks. Mm. But watching The Return, not a lot of it has actually been set in Twin Peaks. So how have you felt about the fact that the story has really expanded and gone into, geographically, thematically, it's gone in a very different direction as well? Mm. Do you still think that those aspects are... Twin Peaksy in some way, or do you think it's just uh, an evolution of the show in some way? Um, I mean, uh, there's a part of me that's slightly disappointed that the the older characters haven't been in it throughout, and, and to a greater extent than they have been. But I think I sort of realised that you could you could almost put any characters in it, and because of the way they interact with each other, the way the humour comes in, um, the pacing of the scenes, which is kind of very distinctive um, and not trendy in the sense of it being like other shows that are on TV at the moment. So I, I think it's it's to do with um, this the the town as originally created had was portrayed in very distinctive ways and they are still doing that largely with other characters and in other locations but it still feels like Twin Peaks to me not the town but the show 
So with the influx of all these new plot strands, new characters, uh, who have been your standout new characters in the world of Twin Peaks, the ones which you think are going to be iconic and memorable for the next 25 years? Um, hmm, which characters? Um, I love Naomi Watts' character, Jane E. Um, so I'd definitely pick that one out. I think she's been great in all of it so far. Um, I guess Diane is the other one. Um, don't know if she strictly counts as a brand new character, <laughs> but uh, effectively a brand new character. And certainly that, not the first appearance, which came at the end of one of the episodes, didn't it? But the full, the first time we got her sort of character on screen. Um, <laughs> okay, just you could not predict that that was what she was going to be like, mm. and yet it was really good really entertaining um, I was quite happy with that what do you think about the fact that they actually put a character like Diane on screen I don't know I mean they have a choice to either do that or not um, if they'd done it and it had been terrible I mean we still don't quite know where what she's doing in terms of her role in the plot but as a character I think Laura Dern's done a fantastic job with it and the writers obviously <laughs> and moving on to the plot strands scenes you know specific parts of the show what have been your big highlights so far um well, certainly the first couple of episodes sort of Cooper's escape from the, the lodge back to earth um although didn't quite arrive <laughs> uh, but certainly the, the, the journey um, back to earth um, for him was thrilling um, I mean everybody's going to say episode 8 aren't they but uh, I completely agree that that was uh, incredible um, the kind of spectacle that you'd see in something like 2001 A Space Odyssey maybe but to see that on a TV show that well, you wouldn't necessarily expect to see it, perhaps. <laughs> Although, of course, David Lynch can do this kind of thing. That's, um, so, yeah, that was an uh, amazing sort of thing. You immediately want to say, did you see Twin Peaks last night to everyone you know? Um, what else? I mean, just small moments. There's so many of them. The first time Cooper gets a cup of coffee from Jamie and his expression uh, <laughs> uh, is brilliant. Um, Gordon Cole's deadpan humour. Throughout. Of, throughout, <laughs> yeah. Um, as I say, um, Janie's um, role throughout. Um, lots of things, really. The policeman, you know, <laughs> just funny again and again oh and um, Lucy and Andy yeah. debating what colour chair to buy um, that put a smile on my face for days uh, it's brilliant just you know I think if some people are, are worried they've been maybe too comedic yeah. but that particular scene I just thought was hilarious so what about um, aspects of the show that you maybe think haven't worked as well so obviously you know, we're talking about it with five hours left and a lot can happen <laughs> but are there any things which you think have not been particularly successful or things that you'd like to 
seen done? You know, um, there, there's not a lot, really. Um, there are things that, to my personal taste, are, I'm less enthused about than other things. So at its most brutal, it can be quite hard to watch. Um, when Cooper kills Daria early on, that was uncomfortable viewing. Um, but that's not to say it's not very well done and very compelling. Um, you also see the same level of violence in part 10 as well. And a lot of people have complained that it's quite heavy, those scenes where you see Richard Horne attacking Sylvia, for example. Um, mm. it, you know, it, it's a show which seems to be unafraid to show you what its creators want to show you. Yeah, I, mean, I was struggling to think what the other thing was that, that I found really difficult, and uh, it was the hit and run. Yeah. Um, which I was quite. Um, I found it quite disturbing. Mm. Um, and part of you is thinking, what was the motivation behind putting that on screen? And, you know, and it's such a big scene that was constructed, you know, it must have been a, a lot of the budget went into doing that. Um, yeah. But that's, you know, that's not to say it's bad, it's just less comfortable to watch it. Um, slightly controversially, perhaps I'm not that big, big a fan of the musical um, episodes in the Roadhouse, yeah. usually at the end of the episodes. Um, Do you think they just go on too long or...? You're not a fan of the music. Oh. Or, or. <laughs> well, I, I am a fan of music. <laughs> um, it just feels like the drama comes to a grinding halt yeah. um, for three minutes, five minutes, whatever it is. Um, Ten minutes sometimes. <laughs> if it's, you know, if the credits are rolling over it, that's one thing. Um, when it's in, in the middle of an episode, which it has been uh, at least a couple of times, um, it just doesn't completely work for me and I get the feeling it's being done mainly because David Lynch just wanted to do it mm. it doesn't generally contribute much to the story um, there may be exceptions to that or we may discover there's something really significant about it but I I don't see a great benefit in that um, personally um, you know, otherwise, uh, maybe occasionally, I mean, some of the cast, I'm not sure how much acting they've been doing over the last 25 years. <laughs> and although the acting is generally very good, there are moments when some of them look slightly uncomfortable in a scene. And maybe David Lynch's kind of policy of not giving them everybody's lines in the scene may be contributing to that. So just there's a few moments sometimes in scenes where people look like they're not quite sure what kind of performance they're supposed to be giving. <laughs> uh, but that's a very minor thing compared with some of the brilliant stuff that's being done in general. Um, Sarah Palmer, for example, that, that's really gripping stuff that's being done there, even though she's only been in it for not many minutes mm -hmm. so far. So in terms of the structure of this whole thing, Lynch and Frost have said that this should be considered an 18-hour movie mm -hmm. and we're being given these one-hour parts every week mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. you know, you watch it, you might watch it again, but then you have a few days to 
mull over it and mm-hmm. think about what you know what's going on. How do you think that the structure of it really being an eighteen-hour movie affects the way that they've actually put this story together? Do you think that what we're seeing is what was in the script? Do you think that it's a product of the edit? Do you think it's a product of you know what they decided to do by going off a, on a tangent whilst uh, you know whilst actually filming? I mean, I, I don't really know. Yeah. Um, I, I think it was probably written as an 18-hour movie, um, which means that um, during the edit, presumably they're having to decide what goes into each hour. Um, and some of the things that are happening with time, where one episode may contain things that appear to originate from earlier than stuff in previous episodes... That that's slightly hard to see the benefit of sometimes, but I don't know really. I think it works as a series with episodes. Mm. Um, don't have any great issue with that, and it's been you know great fun to to get an hour of it and then have a week to think about it. I think it would be a completely different experience if if you were able to go okay next episode now at the end of each one we'll have that eventually but for the moment I think it's a good thing that it's coming out an hour at a time do you think you are going to sit down at some point and try and watch it in larger blocks maybe not one complete 18 hour block but in sort of six hour chunks or something just to get the feel of how it's yeah I think I will definitely yes Um, hmm. so the original show is very well known for being so frightening, frighteningly original that it mm-hmm. you know changed the face of television. That's what everyone always says as well. But um, a lot of shows that came out in the early nineties, mid nineties, they were rooted very heavily in um, inspirations that come directly from the way the show was made, the kind of storytelling they were doing. Uh, do you think that the return is going to have a similar impact in the coming years? I think it will definitely have an impact on some filmmakers, um, TV uh, showrunners, um, whether everybody will suddenly say, oh, we've been doing it wrong, let's, let's adopt something closer to the, to the Twin Peaks model now. I don't know. Um, it's, I don't know what kind of impact the show is having in the States. Here, I mean, the people that are watching it are loving it, and I'm sure a lot of people in the industry are watching it. Uh, and will be inspired by it but to what extent we'll see all of TV dramas kind of shifting (laughs) because of this time will tell but I definitely think it will have some impact and that we will see more shows being produced along the lines that Twin Peaks has I know they had had problems with at one point the the TV studio wasn't sure how many episodes they were going to get and David Lynch didn't particularly want to tell them because (laughs) it it depended how the editing went Uh, and they had to resolve that so maybe that's a factor that will kind of push back against the creators that want to work this way Um, I mean I hope we see more like this because it just seems to be a way of working that that suits really talented filmmakers (laughs) So, as I said at the beginning, you know, we're 13 hours in at the moment. We've got another one tonight. Um, and, you know, with these five 13. hours left, what do you hope 
might be happening in the last few hours, or more generally, sort of as the as the return reaches its conclusion, mm. rather than what's happening episode by episode. You know, what do you hope for the rest of the season? Well, I'm pretty confident it's going to be good. <laughs> um, I think um, I'm, I'm obviously hoping for something that has a satisfying kind of ending. I don't necessarily need everything to be wrapped up with a bow on top. Um, sometimes I like to think of this series as being not the isolated thing that it is, but maybe in my head there were series that came before this one and series that would come after <laughs> it, yeah. whether those things will ever get produced or not. So if, if there's some element of this series three that doesn't particularly seem to go anywhere, that would be the case in a, in a long-running series. So <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not too worried about everything being explained. In fact, I don't expect that at all. But um, I think the worst thing possibly would be if they were to somehow undermine the characters that we've grown to love from the original series. So I hope that doesn't happen. I mean, obviously with Audrey, for example, there's potential for that to end in a way that's upsetting for that character. But I guess this is where what we do with drama. We, we don't give everybody a happy ending. But maybe Audrey will get a happy ending. Who knows? Um, and, and others, you know, I think there's potential for for characters that we know and love to get killed off in these late, later episodes. Any guesses? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if I should speculate on that. Um, it's too more. You won't do that. It's too more. No, I think um, Doctor Doctor Jacoby certainly is. There's, I can see a, a way that this, the plot could go that would put him in jeopardy, shall we say. But maybe Nadine will jump in and save him um, with her superhuman strength. And a golden shovel. <laughs> and a golden shovel. Um, what else am I expecting? Hawk and True and one of the, at least one of the Sheriff Trumans <laughs> are obviously going to go up the hill, up the mountain and um, do something which... I guess the expected thing is somehow they'll save the day. I think, I, I don't know where I first had this idea of Cooper's journey being some kind of relating in some way to the Homer's Odyssey kind of journey, the long journey home. Uh, I think with Cooper, the question, does he even have a home to come back to? Um, the life that he had is gone really. So it's very difficult to see what the ending of his journey will be even if he comes back to his own kind of mind um, you know he's 25 years on and what's whatever life he had before is, is presumably gone it's part of me thinks maybe there is actually a future for him with Janie E even mm. um, you know even as Cooper uh, rather than Dougie Coop mm. um, so I'm you know I just I, I think like everyone I'm excited to see where it does go um, and I can't see me being too disappointed. Um, it's all been so so good so far. So I suppose one character who is central to the Twin Peaks mythology but hasn't really had uh, much of a direct role in recent hours is Laura. Mm, um, yes. And we're talking a lot of, all the time about Cooper's journey. We've seen mm. you know, lots of ideas about what's going on in 
Twin Peaks, New York, Las Vegas, Buckhorn, all these different places. But fundamentally, we know that Laura is going to be central, hopefully, to the conclusion of this arc in some way. Certainly with Leland's original message, find Laura, and mm. her being whisked out of the mm. Red Room. And she is the one. And she is, she is the one. Um, what do you <laughs> think is going to happen? The lady's told us so. <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> no, so, so what, what, what am I expecting is, for her? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it's it's hard hard to say. Uh, she could appear in a ball of, <laughs> of light in the last two minutes, and um, uh, and represent some kind of spiritual ending to the thing, or she could have a much bigger role, um, which I think I would I would definitely prefer. Where, um, yeah, she's she's on Earth interacting with the other characters. Um, in a more kind of human-like way, um, but it's impossible to say it at the moment because we've seen hardly th anything of her. Um, so yeah, I would I'd definitely like. I'm sure I'm not alone in this. I'd like to see Cheryl Lee get some uh, significant acting to do in the last episodes. But do you think she's going to make a real-world appearance in Twin Peaks, or is she going to appear as? some kind of extra-dimensional or ethereal form of Laura? I, I would prefer that she, she has some human-like kind of interaction with, with the other um, characters, but um, I can't say with any confidence that that is what's going to happen. Um, I'd like to see Leland as well. Yeah. Um, you know, we've had a glimpse of him. Um, but, yeah, it's impossible to know. I think even ten minutes from the end of the last episode we're not going to have a clue what's going to be in that last 10 minutes. Um, maybe that's what's so exciting about it, that it's been, it's been like that all the way through. You never know what the next 10 minutes is going to be. Um, so, yeah, it's exciting to find out. Cool. Well, thank you, Chris, for joining us for A Slice of Pie. Thank you. We very much hope you enjoy watching the last few hours and we'll stay in touch and find out about you know, what everyone's theories are as well over the coming weeks. Yeah, um, I can't wait. But yeah, thank you again, and we'll no, catch up with you soon. Great, thanks. We're joined now for another slice of pie by author Neil Williamson. Hi, Neil. Hello. Uh, thanks for joining us. How are you finding Twin Peaks: The Return so far? Loving it to bits. I'm like the. I have not had this relationship with the TV series um, so strong for for years. I absolutely adore every frustrating moment of it. I should mention that we're recording this in a cafe in the middle of uh, a convention centre in Helsinki because we're all here for Worldcon 75, which is why it might be a bit noisier than usual. What do you think it is that makes Twin Peaks The Return so rewarding to watch and um, more so than a lot of other things that are on TV at the moment? Um, I think, well, I think you have, I can't speak for anyone else, but for me um, and uh, my, my partner Emma, we were big fans of the original series when it was first broadcast in the in early, early 90s. And um, I, I guess we feel we've got a, a strong relationship with it anyway. 
So um, we're just interested to see, continually interested to see how the stories that were, were set up in the original series um, are, are are handled by by Lynch and Frost. And what we love about it is is that they're doing something entirely different to what anybody expected, and that's the best thing about it. Um, it's it's almost like a huge tease. The whole thing is a huge tease, and it's intentional. You know, it's an intentional thing. And I've described it. There's this thing they do, where uh, I guess it's uh, encapsulated by uh, Bad Coop and Doogie Coop, as you guys are referring to. And we love Doogie. We think Doogie's amazing. We would happily watch Doogie to the end of the series and not have Good Coop come back. But at the same time, it's a tension because we want Good Coop to come back. Everyone wants. Dale Cooper to come back and and be Dale Cooper and um, thus far at episode thirteen we've got so far um, I watched it I watched it on on Monday night before before I flew out um, we haven't seen Dale Cooper yet uh, as Dale Cooper but but yeah, so there's this tension of wanting D- Dale to come back but also wanting Diggy to stay and I I kind of love that about it I love the way that's set up um, so. It just feels like the, that transfer, if it ever happens, has just been teased out and teased out and teased out. And it's a tease, but it's a, it's, it's a lovely, artful tease. And I think it's done with great affection for the people who are watching. I think you're supposed to enjoy it, as well as be frustrated as hell. <laughs> so if you were fans back when the original series was broadcast, you've had the full 25-year wait. Wait, yeah. 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 Um, I used to do my earning to it. I lived in London, my first job, Thursday night. What was your reaction when you first heard it was coming back? I couldn't believe it. I, I, I couldn't. I couldn't believe it. Um, I and I was a little bit weary as well. Uh, what I hoped wasn't going to happen was we just drop back into the, the old character storylines, and it's it's it is those old characters. 25 years older just kind of doing what they were doing before I didn't want that at all and, but I didn't know what to expect so I'm, I'm, I'm very happy with the way it's gone it's a really nice blend of old characters and new characters and the things they do with the old characters are, have been fantastic so far and also extenuating the big, the big backstory you know bringing that out more than certainly than it was in the first two series and came out a little bit more in, in Firewalk With Me um, but yeah, I, 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 I still feel they're actually going to resolve something at some point, and we're going to get a, a feeling of completion, but only if you've waited twenty five years for it, <laughs> which is the, which is the perfect way. So, are there any old characters in particular that you really wanted to see again, and that you think they've done something interesting with, or that you're disappointed with, or? Um, let me have a think about that. Well, obviously, there's, there's, I, I like the way they handled. Um, uh, Sheriff Truman, I like the way they've done that with other Sheriff Truman. I think that's that's nicely handled. It's neat. It's obviously it was necessary. Um, I think that's that's that was quite cool. Um, Shelley still got really terrible taste in men, obviously, <laughs> and her advice to her daughter isn't the best. Uh, I like what they've done with with Bobby. I think that's nice. Um, I like that the the that Mike ended up in a really shitty job. <laughs> Um, those those things, yeah. It's, it's almost like they, they they knew what kind of people these people would turn out to be. The the bits with Sarah Palmer really terrifying me. Mm. That whole scene in episode 
30. Is it alright to talk about um, like spoilery stuff? Up oh, to, yeah, yeah. 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 We'll, we'll, everyone's up to We're up to date, 30. okay. Yeah. So, and um, the thing with, the, with, with Sarah in her house watching TV, drinking, smoking, that thing with the, 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 the loop of, and we're going to get onto things with loops in a minute, I guess, but that thing with the, the loop of that boxing match she's watching, and you don't see it originally, and you just, Emma turned to me and said, did he just say that a minute ago? And suddenly you realise you're actually watching about eight seconds being repeated, and she doesn't seem to notice. Mm. Um, so, and also what I was thinking about the, the, the Palmer House, you know, the Palmer House was this, in the early 90s, was this lovely, big family home. This, obviously a well-to-do couple lived here, and a well-to-do fam- family lived here. And, uh, you know, nice people, nice furnishing. Now it looks like a, like a single old person lives there, and it's it's become a different space, but it feels like the right space. It's almost like the looking at if you if you're able to compare the Palmer House now to the Palmer House as was, it tells all the series story. Mm. Yeah, it tells you the person she's become, and yeah. we didn't really even need that scene in the in the supermarket a couple of bits ago. It's, it's knew that she's just nothing had ever been right since since Laura. Um, yeah. We love that establishing shot on the outside of the house where you see that the lawn and the, the plants look like they're dying mm. in her garden mm. compared to the kind of lush green garden immediately next yeah. door. Yeah, we, 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 we started thinking of it almost like a horror house. It's like a, it's got that feel about it, isn't it? Um, and I don't, my, my guess would be it's, we haven't seen the, the end of the drama in the Palmer house, I think. There may be stuff to happen there. So, do you want to talk about the time loopy stuff? Okay. <laughs> um, it's not, it's, it, there, there is time loop, so the, the, there's a timeline thing, right? Yeah. Um, I think everyone by now has realised that none of it makes sense, really. There's stuff that's happening, you think, well, days must have happened, days must have passed. Like, um, in the last episode, um, Bobby was telling Big Ed, and it's nice to see Big Ed back, that was, that was cool. And um, was telling Big Ed, um, oh, so yeah, we found this this stuff of my dad's today, and it's like that was like seven or eight episodes ago. What what happened in all that cinema time? What happened all that same time pass? So, I think I think what we're beginning to understand is there's something happening in Twin Peaks, and I think it's Twin Peaks and not the other locations. So I think there's maybe an epicenter where um, my latest theory. <laughs> Not that I really have theories, but my latest theory would be that the Twin Peaks is the, the epicenter for something where everything seems to be kind of sort of in some sort of stasis. Yeah? A lot of people are doing the same things they were doing before. Bobby, not. Bobby's grown up and become a, a policeman, which is nice. Um, but there's a kind of element of stasis, stasis and nothing, nothing moving on there. Sarah Palmer in our house. The very end of that last episode, Big Ed sitting in the gas station just looking out. Um, there's a lot of um, in the roadhouse. There was that lovely, lovely um, kind of five minute scene where there's a guy sweeping the floor. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing, and you're going, "My God!" And you, at first you think, "What is Lynch doing? He's putting this stuff in." Um, and at first I thought it was to it was to extend the frustration. It was like, uh, and I think part that's part of it. But at the same time, I think I think actually time is is is. There's a, a, it's almost like the world has forgotten Twin Peaks and it's a, it's a dead, cut-off, time-stranded place. Um, and the people there that live there don't realise it, 
but that, that there are these longers and yeah does that make sense I, I don't sense that's happening in the Dakota scenes or Las Vegas um, yeah I think they seem a lot more at, at the very least they seem a lot more linear mm. um, sometimes it's hard to tell kind of from day to day as if one day has been two days but you at least get the feeling that the scene you're watching now comes after the scenes that you've seen before in Las Vegas and in yeah. South Dakota. Do you think that because this would have originally started out life as a script written by Mark Frost and David Lynch, how much do you think there was a, a kind of linear script and then David Lynch shot it and sat in the editing suite and said, right, this is what we're doing with it? I am, um, well, do you know what? I wouldn't be surprised if they'd written it like it's like it is I wouldn't be surprised if the whole thing was planned out um, I, I'm hoping for that I'm hoping for the, the, the when, when we finally get to, to view the whole thing we'll look back and go not, not all of it will be parsable but you'll, you'll get a sense that there, there was a plan behind it all rather than an editing plan um, but I don't know I, 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 I can't say you, you could do it just at the edi- editing and say let's just share all this stuff <laughs> With the especially with the older actors, get them in quickly, get, get them shot, not literally. Um, yeah. Oh, Nadine in her drape shop. That's fantastic. The drape on her shop. Yeah, that's fantastic. And the golden shuffle. That scene with Jacoby, which is standing talking to the drape runners. You can't see this because it's it's radio, right? But the drape runners go like this as we're talking. Love that. So. Is there anything about the return that you have been disappointed with so far? Any kind of weaknesses or, or, or in terms of character or story or pacing that, that you haven't liked so much? Not really. Um, I, I would like to see more of everything, to be honest. I would like to see more of all the stories. Um, I, I think 18 episodes is way too short. To be honest, <laughs> um, I, I feel like we're only getting a snippet of it. Uh, even the uh, Blesser, the Audrey and Charlie um, setup that's now appeared all of a sudden out of nowhere, I'm kind of loving it because it, it feels like it's not connected to anything. And if, when we first saw that long scene where it's like, uh, we've got to go to the roadhouse to find Billy, all right, then I'm going to phone Tina, okay, then what did she say, Charlie? Oh my god, how frustrating was that! But um, and you're going, who's, who's Tina? Who's Billy? Who's Charlie? Don't know who any of these people are. Does it? I think it, it, it. I think it is. There's a core thing there, and Charlie to me feels like a, almost like one of the Black Lodge characters. So I think there's there's something going on there. And this week he was talking about writing her story or rewriting her story. Like, I'm not sure what's going on. There's there's something there's something. Uh, is there anything I'm not I'm, I'm not keen on? Um, no, I think it's all been fine. Even that, not this week's episode, but last week's, where it really was the most frustrating thing ever. With the there was things to love in it, you know, with the um, with Gordon's strange floozy attempting to leave the room, <laughs> um, that that thing, and then that that whole Audrey and Charlie scene, which just just seemed to be just at the time seemed to be put there just to go. Oh, we want more of the story. Give us more of the story. It's frustrating, but um, I think there's a, a thing. I, 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 there's a, a metaphor that I came up with. It was mainly to do with with um, Cooper and and Dougie. Um, that I, that seemed to me to be sensible for a while. I'm not sure it is so much. 
Tell us, you know how Cooper um, comes back to the world via electricity? He's in that kind of weird space room place. I, I don't know what the fans are calling it, but that kind of weird that thing with the The, the purple room. The purple room, yeah, yeah. So he's there, and um, he comes back into the world via electricity, and he comes into, essentially comes into Doogie via the, the electricity. Um, and all the way through the the, the thing, the, the sound design, is this kind of weird electrical buzzing kind of sound. Um, I feel that Cooper's path back into the world and the frustration we see with him not being manifested in Dougie is kind of married to a lot of the other frustrations we see in the story being told. Um, but the way I think of it now is like electrical resistance. It's like there's, there's, there's a resistor and it's only it's like, you know, squeezing through a tiny bit at a time. Um, it's forcing its way into the world, if you, if you like. But there, there's, a, there's a blockage. Um, and it's, I'm finding the whole thing a, a very frustrating, but also incredibly enjoyable experience. I, I just, the, the only, you know, ask me this again in five episodes' time, and if it doesn't resolve in some way, I'm just going to be so annoyed because <laughs> my, my story brain won't, won't let it just be well I'm not telling you what's happening you know I think I think I don't think I don't think that will happen I think there will be a resolution I think Lynch and Frost want to tell you the secret history like like in the book The Secret History which I've started I've read the first few chapters so far and there's definitely more stuff um, a lot of it I guess The Secret History of America to, to read starting with Lewis and Clark and Going, uh, going forward from there, but uh, there's definitely more back backstory, Twin Peaksy backstory in there. That, so I think their 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 um, natural inclination is to tell you, um, but not tell you everything. If they want to tell us something, something. All right. Have you um, found as an author that it's ignited a creative spark just watching this? Incredible thing. Like no, 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 no. I have enough creative sparks as you are. You know, uh, I, I have enough stuff going on. Um, I'm actually, I'm actually in a good place, author-wise, at the moment because I'm um, coming to the end of um, uh, edits on uh, a, a new novel, and once that's done, that's out in the world, and um, at least looking for a place to be published and. I have nothing. I have nothing, nothing ahead of me. That I have to do. I have a few things that I want to do, and certainly a couple of people have asked me for things, but not given me time scales for them. So, I've I've got an entirely open for the first time in years and years and years, entirely open slate. So I'm buzzing with ideas. Um, what Twin Beats has, has given me that I, I I'm because I'm I'm not really able to come at it as a as an author. I'm just coming at it as a fan and just loving the stuff, loving the characters, loving the acting in a lot of a lot of the cases. Um, loving the, all the little cameos and things it's just, it's just a joy the, the, the transcendent beauty of episode 8 which we didn't watch together because Emma was in a course in London and um, so she took, it, she took her, her tablet down and, um, uh, to London with her and watched it on the train she was, had an early train to, to London on the Monday so we don't, we don't stay up to watch it we, we watch it usually on a Monday night and uh, uh, and I had something on that week as well, and I couldn't watch it on the Monday night. She said, You've got to watch it. She texted me in the middle of the night on Monday night, You've got to watch it, you've got to watch it. And I watched it, and I just could not believe what I was watching. It's one of the most 
superb pieces of TV I have ever seen in my life. I didn't know TV could be as good as that. Literally didn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't spark authority things in me. It just makes me go. That's just great entertainment. Really was such a beautiful thing. Do you have a favourite Roadhouse act so far? I really loved. Um, I really loved uh, James. Um, on the, this week, I thought that was. It was that. It was. It was that same song he wrote for Donna, wasn't it? Yeah, and that was like, oh bless. That was nice. Um, the Nine Inch Nails were were better than I expected. They were. They were pretty good. Um, uh, I've liked. I like most of them. Yeah, I like most of them. Because it's so strange to have a, a kind of prime time. I hesitate to say mainstream because it isn't really mainstream, but a big prime time drama that has so much live music in it. Yeah, indie and music so in it, yeah. Yeah. And what, what I think was interesting though, wasn't it? Because I mean, it used to cut to Julie Cruz doing Julie, the Julie Cruz thing. And I guess this is um, contemporary music 25 years later, it's been influenced by Bad Lamenti and Julie Cruz and, and that, that sound, you know, that kind of wistful, it's a, it's a, it's a very contemporary indie sound, it's like a wistful. Plaintive, a lot of reverb in the vocal. You know, it's quite sparse backing. Um, nothing, nothing really upbeat about any of it. You know, it's it's it's. Um, I think that I think they've all been great. So it's it's a good part of the show. The only show that I can remember be, having a similar live music insert was the Young Ones. <laughs> yeah, you know, we always used to get someone like um, Motorhead or Aswad or you know. Alexis Sale singing his daughter Bar- Martin's Boots song, you know. <laughs> Do you think it stands a chance of influencing TV to the extent that the original did? <laughs> um, Is that even I, possible? I think, I think it's going to frighten a lot of people. Um, if you look at Twin Peaks as being one of the first... Um, certainly one of the first really transatlantic event TV things. I think possibly only something like Dallas had had the same effect, where everyone was watching that, that show that was on um, and was establishing a, a, a paradigm for TV shows where these, you know, we're going to build a long, a long, it's going to be a it's going to be a story and we're going to tell you it. And obviously with the production studio issues that Six Series 2 had, it became a bit convoluted and, and strange, but... Um, it, in my mind, it should have been two, you know, eight, nine, ten episode series, and that that would have been perfect. But um, but maybe in a way, that's kind of what made Twin Peaks what Twin Peaks is, you know. Um, but will, will it affect? I think it, it should be able to tell studios you you can you can take a risk in things. I'm not sure they will. I think Showtime have been incredibly brave taking this on, but they know there's they knew there was a fan base for it, right? So. Um, if someone else had come up with a like an unknown, with a little track record, had come up with a, a similar idea for a show, and in episode eight we do this, and you're, what the hell? <laughs> so basically, none of the story, no, okay, and and then you all this for yeah, but I never. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't know. Um, I I think I think it's it's lovely that it's shaking everything up, and I, I hope people can do can feel free to 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 be. Um, Artistically brave. I was actually talking to um, the science fiction writer Ian McDonald over a coffee there before I came to meet you, and who we was saying that um, reading reading the, the the Hugo Awards, the World Science Fiction 
uh, the Worldcon kind of voted um, science fiction awards, reading the uh, the various things on the, on the fiction shortlist, not bowled over by a lot of it. A lot of it's very safe. What we really want, we want people to take risks with fiction again. Be dangerous, you know. And I, I took that to me, Twin Peaks is the most risk-taking thing I've seen in a long, long time in, in any medium. So um, if it uh, encourages other people to be risk-taking, then that's what I'd love to see. Yeah. I'd love to see people going, well, we're doing this. See what happens. I know TV shows got a, a lot of money thrown at them, uh, and it's a risk, an actual risk. This is, everyone should take risks at some point. Thank you very much, Neil, for joining us. It's been really good to talk about Twin Peaks. It's a pleasure. It's always good to talk about Twin Peaks. <laughs> So that's it for another slice of pie. Thank you for listening to our two interviews. Uh, thanks again to both Chris and Neil for joining us and chatting about all things Twin Peaks. And if you're interested in finding out more about Chris and Neil, uh, you can find Chris at uh, wordpress.com and Neil at neilwilliamson.wordpress.com. We'll be back very soon with another Cherry Pie and Coffee podcast episode about part 14. Until then, goodbye. Goodbye.